Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, James Berman, editor of SHD Logistics. Thanks for joining us. At the end of April, we hosted a virtual iteration of the annual Logistics Conference. Spread over two days, the digital event covered all manner of topics, supply chain resilience, technology and logistics, the cold chain, and diversity and inclusion. We will recap a lot of the conference over the coming episodes of the Logistics Podcast. The following discussion was part of this year's diversity and inclusion session at the conference. We were joined by Kimberly McIntosh, Service Delivery Leader, Central and East London at the Royal Mail. As a senior black leader within the organisation and a single mother of two teenage children, she has navigated a variety of challenges to forge an impressive career journey. This has led her to being recognised at a number of national industry awards, most notably as an award winner within the Freight Leader category at the 2019 Every Woman Awards. Also on the panel, we had Sunna Habib, Transport Planner at Wincanton. Sunna is a graduate in Logistics and Supply Chain Management, BSc, at the University of Derby, with one-year industry experience at Wincanton. For her final year dissertation, Sunna researched barriers to progression in the workplace with a specific focus towards Muslim women in logistics. Last, but by no means least, we had contributions from Rob Nolan, chair of the CILT Pride Professional Network Forum. Rob is an active chartered member of the Institute of Logistics and Transport as a committee member for the Thames Valley Regional Group, as well as Pride Professional Network Forum chair. He is a CILT 2020 Excellence Award finalist in the Diversity Champion category for his work and contribution in establishing the fledgling CILT Pride Professional Network Forum. The session was put in the very capable hands of Bethany Windsor to moderate. Bethany is Operations Manager Novus at CILT. with a question for Kimberly, one that came up right at the start of this morning's presentations. Kimberly, you made a really good point that difficult conversations are still regrettably quite necessary in establishing boundaries. Whilst I fully appreciate that it's not something that we should have to do, it is still something that I'm sure, unfortunately, we've all had to do at one time or another. And I wondered whether you had any tips for having those difficult conversations to encourage learning in those people who are not yet appreciative of boundaries? Yeah, that's a really important question. We need to be very conscious of the circumstances by which we're working. So have we got a climate of honesty? Have we got a climate of trust and openness to really ensure that people feel comfortable and empowered enough to kind of challenge things that, you know, go beyond their expected boundaries? So I think that's a reflection point for all of us as well. You know, it, it is a workplace and there's a level of professionalism that you would expect, but sometimes tends not to be there. And I think it's recognising that the intention may not necessarily be a negative one, a malicious one or vindictive one. But I think, you know, if we're really making sure that everyone is empowered enough to say they feel distinctly uncomfortable, that's what we need to work from. So there's a couple of things I would suggest, particularly from a senior leadership perspective. So firstly, what is our current climate? What is our current culture? What is our current working environment? And I think that's a point for absolutely everybody, because wherever you are in your organisation, we all play a part in that. And then I think if there are difficult conversations that need to be have, you know, from a reflective perspective is, have you done some 
background research? Are you prepared to suspend your own judgment and make sure that you're actively listening to what the individual is saying? And then I think it's really important that you're clear on your intention as well. I think that's going to be pretty critical to ensure someone can speak to you openly about their thoughts and you're actually going to take it in the spirit with which it's intended, but do something with it as well. I think it's really difficult when you're talking to someone and it pretty much falls on deaf ears without any follow-up or understanding of what the purpose of the conversation was. So there's a personal responsibility I think we all have, but I think broader than that, we just need to ensure that we are creating a climate for everybody to feel quite comfortable and honest about how they're feeling. And in terms of making logistics an attractive profession to Muslims, it would be that being an inclusive environment, maybe having Muslim uniforms or like a headscarf or something along those lines, having being able to pray when they want to an inclusive prayer room. I guess that would be one way to make logistics an inclusive and an attractive profession. To Rob and to Kimberly, in terms of great resources, are there any that have particularly resonated with you in your DNI championing that you've thought, if I could give one person one thing to read or show them or watch, that would be what it might be? Any top resources? I think one book, actually, I would suggest, and, and it's um, quite a contentious title, but there's far more to it, is a book called Don't Touch My Hair. It's a book by a, a lady called Emma Dabiri. And I think it touches on a number of conversations we've had as well, just about how can we start to engage in those difficult conversations and from a very positive position for all parties. So definitely one that has actually helped me in terms of having some uncomfortable conversations with senior leaders and also to support with my leadership with the broader spectrum in my organisation. So, yeah, that's a book I would suggest. Amazing. Thank you. Rob? So from... From the LGBT plus perspective, from a workplace kind of area, as I referenced in my slide, Stonewall and their website is incredible. Got some really good sources, statistics and information there. From a community perspective, the foundation pillar stone for challenges is specifically written for gay men. Um, it's called The Velvet Rage, um, and that's by Dr. Alan Downs. And it kind of looks at how there's significant childhood trauma caused by, not intentionally, but just society as a whole, very heteronormative environments when the individual realises that they're not quite the same as everyone else and how then that starts to look at sort of family units and things like that. From a more modern and UK perspective, the former editor of, I want to say Attitude, but it could have been The Times, did a book called Straight Jacket, it's bright yellow. You can't miss it in uh, in the bookshop. And that kind of sort of looks at the velvet rage, but from a more modern and UK perspective. Fantastic. Thank you. We shall all be on Amazon or your preferred bookseller of choice looking at some of those. It's always great, I think, to have a, a recommendation for something that's been uh, been particularly powerful. So thank you all for those. What can that entry-level employee do specifically to make sure that they are embracing DNI? Kimberly, might we come to you first? Yeah, of course. And it's, it's a great perspective and, and a great challenge, I think, as well for any organisation is what is the 
what is the facility or the avenues for new entrants, younger people to come through? I do recall whilst I was doing some research, there was a survey that actually showed about three quarters of Gen Z's really selected organisations where they saw a diverse and inclusive workplace being encouraged. So it shows how important it is to um, new entrants into organisations. So I think from my perspective, what I've really liked is people that are proactive in terms of engaging with senior stakeholders, their broader network, even at entry level people. I think the networking piece is critical. I think it's building a community of people that recognize the beauty and the diversity and work to build that community. And if anyone within, you know, my area of responsibility was to say, guys, you know, we know that Eid is coming soon and we'd love to acknowledge that by doing something. I think it's fantastic when that level of community is is being developed at grassroots level. So I would suggest just being proactive and that still does require a responsibility of senior people to allow that creativity to flourish at all levels of the organisation. But it's the confidence, isn't it, in creating that environment for people to feel quite comfortable about raising opportunities for further awareness. So, yeah, I, I think feel confident enough to develop initiatives locally and speak to stakeholders and I'd be really disappointed to believe that there'll be a senior stakeholder that wouldn't want to support and facilitate that. When you're in operation and I absolutely love my time working in the operation whether it be in a warehouse or in T5 in the middle of disruption they are really changing environments and it's allowing that space for your employees to have the time because it's lovely when colleagues come forward and say like sort of let's do something or prize coming up let's do something it's allowing them that space and time to work out what they want to do what's appropriate and to actually put something on that then is inclusive for everyone else and then other people don't feel left out because they didn't find out because the email went out too late or the newsletter it didn't make the newsletter so it just went in a group whatsapp which is only a proportion of the team and all that kind of stuff. So giving them that space to do that and also empowering individuals to know that it's good to do that kind of stuff. If you have a, a culture at a certain organisation or just location that does that kind of thing, then everyone knows that they can do it and come forward rather than setting up. They're, they're supporting and helping out rather than setting up because it's already in the culture that things will happen like that. So now anything that you would like to add about that entry-level ownership and responsibility for DNI. Yeah, so one of the things that we're doing at Wincanton, so I'm part of one of the DNI panel. So what we do is we're doing focus groups for warehouse colleagues and our drivers and anyone in the organisation really. We pick a topic a couple of times a month where colleagues can join in on a call and we speak about this one topic. So, for example, Mental Health Awareness Week will be coming up in May. So we will be discussing something around that topic and everyone will be included. So each month this will be different. So I'll be doing one about Ramadan. And previously in the past, we've done it on LGBTQ community and disability awareness. So I think that's one way in which involving colleagues. I personally believe that if as an entry level employee or indeed any employee, you're not in a situation where the workforce or the workplace is open for you to embrace DNI, making some of those suggestions about activities or actively participating in networking. For me, it would be about asking whether that's the right place for you. 
I think we appreciate wholeheartedly the difficulties around the climate at the moment for finding new jobs. So nobody's advocating necessarily taking drastic action at the moment, but that carefully considered, is this going to be the right place to embrace the same vision and values as I have around DNI is really important. And also a great question for interview. Are people and, and organizations really living those values that might be on their websites or um, in their literature. For our next question, we're going big, we're going government level. How much do you feel that organisations and businesses need to lobby government for wider society changes rather than each company trying to do something perhaps on their own or in a smaller way than that government approach? Rob, might I come to you first? Yes, yeah, you may, of course. So from my perspective, it's about kind of the government have already provided the Qualities Act and all of the legal and regulatory things are in place. So that, that allows our employees to know that if someone calls me that, that's not right. Or there's the high level, the visible, obvious stuff, but then it's that, that deeper level that have aren't necessarily so visible other individuals being put forward for promotion or over time things just seem to be working in favor of other individuals over others so as employees we need to be working to really work with government and sort of pressure groups and community groups that can really help move the gender forward with sort of organizations having to present their now their gender pay gap mm. and then do we now look forward with gaps in as a different other community diversity groups that's possibly one avenue we might want to look forward and then it'll become very clear where those organizations and as they are the kind of the hidden things that we can't see they will suddenly start to become more visible and when you know what gets measured gets managed once you see it you can start moving forwards with it hopefully one of my favourite gender pay gap examples was what looked to be a huge disparity in, in the pay between men and female colleagues or indeed staff members. And it was, in fact, that there had been an influx of female apprentices. So, of course, a very different pay entry point, but a fantastic gain for the organisation. So lifting the lid on that gave two points for the note and, and to shout about some successes there. So, yes, a good point, well made that that what we measure gets reported and what gets reported on gets shouted about and seen. And we can do more of that, I think, certainly. I think it can't hurt, can it really, in terms of ensuring that there is that focus and that lens in terms of the expectation. I, I think what we don't want to lose sight on is an organisation that's kind of backed into a corner to do certain things. It can potentially become a tick box and we really want to ensure that it's being driven for the right intention. So there's a bit of a balance, but I, I do think there definitely is more that needs to be done from a government perspective. I know there is the obviously Equalities Office who do look at the whole gender pay gap piece. But as Rob said, it's a far broader spectrum that does need to be reviewed. Another question that, again, I think we will all have opinions on. We can't, we can't, can we have an online event without talking about the pandemic? Do we think that the pandemic has slowed DNI efforts? Sunna, can I come to you for your thoughts first? 
So I, I don't think it's necessarily slowed the DNI efforts that we've been doing. In fact, it's kind of made us more passionate in what we do. Everyone's come together and we're seeing more people involved in our focus group. So if, if anything, it's, it's made everyone come together. Also led by a really great diversity manager who is very enthusiastic. So by seeing her passion, we all tried to get involved and do our part. Yeah, we'd have to acknowledge in terms of a really structured agenda. I think it has obviously had been a bit destabilised. But going back to Sina's point, I think locally in organisations and in society as a whole, I don't think we could have progressed as far as we have without banding together. And I think it really shows, you know, ultimately we're speaking about all of these differences we have, but we all are obviously of the human race. And and COVID has been pretty indiscriminate in terms of it affecting absolutely every corner of, of our cultures, our backgrounds, our communities. And it's been time for us to reflect and and see the similarities in us all and, and how we can support one another in our, in our different ways. So whilst from a structured approach, there might have been a delay, I think from a, a human nature piece, I think it's been an eye opener for us on, on what we can do when we put our minds to things together. From my perspective, I guess there is the element that it has thrown up a lot of challenges. So prides couldn't happen and community groups aren't able to meet face to face. However, now sort of Communities are coming together and really embracing the technology that that we've all had to shift onto. So it's about how we've had to learn to adapt to overcome those challenges that COVID has given us. I do feel it's kind of in some ways the pandemic and lockdown has caused marriages. But so I feel it's a bit of both. Just can't wait to be able to meet people <laughs> properly face to face. Thanks to Bethany, Kimberly, Sonna and Rob for a really insightful discussion. It can't be overstated how important this topic is, and I think it's very easy to think diversity and inclusion initiatives should come from the top down in a logistics business. But I think our panellists proved that with proper research, communication and conversation, everyone within the organisation can contribute. What are you doing already in your business to push diversity and inclusion? Now, at the Logistics Podcast, we like to turn our listeners into readers and our readers into listeners. So please do sign up to the SHD newsletter by visiting shdlogistics.com. That's all from me. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Mm-hmm.